Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello. Hi. And welcome to Going Off Track. Welcome. God damn it. <laughs> I'm Jonah. <clears throat> I'm <clears throat> I'm congested Brad. Congested Brad. Better yeah. than no Brad. It's early. It is. Um how are you feeling, man? You just took a vacation. Do you feel decompressed? It was, it was only a long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it felt like a it felt like you were gone for weeks Did to you me. Miss I me? missed you a lot. You Went to L.A. for a couple weeks. I did. I was in L.A. for a few weeks, and I was in Turks and Caicos. Ugh. Yeah, you... Did you have, like, two little kids with you that were running around, waking you up in the morning? No. Uh, destroying uh, hotel dining rooms? No. I can't say that I did. So you maybe got, are a little more relaxed. I did get sunburned, maybe. even though I drenched myself in SPF 50. Really? Yeah. I get sunburned no matter what. It sucks. Do, it's his fair skin. I well, I have, I I have fair skin, and I need to use the block. Yeah. But what happens to me is that, you know, you miss a place. Right. Exactly. And you get like your fingerprints or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Like I feel like the spray one doesn't work. There's got to be a way. Yeah. The spray from, is only good for like backup. Yeah. Aside from having, like, someone else do it for you, there's got to be a way to cover your whole bot and not to have to, like, smear it on your skin. That seems so old-fashioned. Yeah, it's really ineffective and efficient. I know. I thought, well, I, we have a lot of friends that live in <clears throat> Australia. And okay. I thought, like, and my kids are pale. Okay. And I thought, like, if we ever moved to Australia, we would have to dip them every day. Do you know what, a like, a pet dip is? No. So there's this treatment, like, if you live out in the country, or maybe the suburbs. I haven't seen it in a while, but I don't spend a lot of time out amongst the heathens. Uh, <laughs> but you'd be driving down the, the road, and you'll see, like, at, like, like at a grain store or maybe a pet place. <clears throat> they'll have a sign that says, like, pet dip, you know, May 5th. And what it is is it's, like, it's for parasites and fleas and stuff. And you bring your dog... And you dip them into a bucket. I've never actually seen it done, but this is how it was described to me. So that, that you literally dip them <laughs> like like you're baptizing them. You dip the whole body into this stuff. Yeah. 
Why can't we do that? That's what that's what we need for sunscreen. Yeah, we should invent that. I figured that that's what I would have for my kids. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or you could create a shower. You know those showers that spray you from all sides? Yeah. And just go and put them in through that every morning. Yeah. Yeah, because it's bottles, stuff. It's, it's greasy. You're just smearing it on. It's Yeah. I mean, the best stuff is the stuff that you have to manually apply. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Life's difficult, Jonah. Just stay the fuck out of the sun. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's I mean, that's usually what I do. Also, I live here, so not you really could, an issue. Most you could of the time. do it like the classy way. You could wear like you know, like nice long sleeve white cotton shirts. Yeah, they make SPF clothing too. Yeah. I have a family member that wears that. I always buy, and whenever I travel to like a tropical, I did it this trip too. I always immediately buy a big straw hat. Really? Yeah, like a big wide brim, like kind of either like a cowboy style or like a, you know, sombrero kind of deal. And do you bring it back with you or you leave yeah, it? Yeah, I usually bring it back. Sometimes it gets destroyed in the plane and then yeah. I just chuck it. But yeah, I usually bring it back. I actually have a few of them in the, from around the world. Well, the, next time I go on, a, on an exotic trip, I might need to borrow one of your straw hats. No problem, dude. <laughs> um, speaking of exotic musicians, mm. um, today in the podcast, we have... Claudio Sanchez, singer for Coheed and Cambria. He's pretty exotic. He's pretty exotic, dude. It's definitely an exotic band. Very exotic. Very uh, technically impressive. Technically impressive and uh, and progressive and sort of be oh, and beyond um, the norm. Beyond the norm, yeah, um, yeah. Claudio, I was speaking with his manager, um, Blaze, awesome guy, and he mentioned that Claudio lives in Brooklyn now. So he came by the day his band were playing Madison Square Garden. Um, this glass jaw and this band Silver Snakes were also opening. You should check out United Nations toured the West Coast with. And they played the theater at MSG. But before the show, Claudio came by to hang out. That was pretty, pretty nice. Of him. Yeah, it was funny because there were some people hanging out at the studio. Um, I don't know if they worked here or something. And they were like, oh, I introduced him. He's like, oh, you guys got a show? And I was like, yeah. I was like, where are you guys playing? He's like, oh, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> which must just be like the coolest thing to say to someone. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm always like, St. Foytus. Which is still cool, but I feel uh, like just being this like... This place around the corner, you probably haven't heard of yeah. it. <laughs> but Claudio, a very humble guy, was definitely was like... Not, that must be fun to yeah, say that. Yeah. If Although, I, there's probably some people who would be offended that you didn't recognize them, you know? Yeah, that's true. Not Claudia, though. Very yeah. down-to-earth guy. Very nice. And I'm really glad that Steven was able to Skype in for this one because we talked towards the end, get very into Star Wars and <laughs> comics, and that's sort of both of their sweet spots. So about the last 20 minutes of this podcast, I have no fucking idea what anyone's <laughs> talking about, and I'm just sitting there, like, drinking coffee, staring at them. Yeah. But... What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, Geek out. Yeah, it's very. This podcast is very geeky, as it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Claudio. Oh my God, so much shit going on. Uh, they have a record that came out uh, last year. I think in October. Yeah, October. The the color beyond the sun. <laughs> I think. I think that's what it's called. Should we check in here? The color before the sun. <laughs> um. So check that out. Claudio has a comic book line. He's like. I think he's making toys. He talks on this podcast. He actually makes a lot of exclusive announcements on this podcast. Um, oh, yeah. He talks about how he's doing a children's book. And he drops some. Yeah. There's a lot of exclusive news that if I was 
smarter, I would like send a press release to like punknews.com and be like, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll listen through it. There's some exclusive news. I'm not going to ruin it for you. <laughs> I want to tease it. One of it is that Claire's working on a children's book. There's a couple other pieces. And I'm not saying it not because I don't remember and I smoke too much weed because I want you to listen so you can hear it for yourself. Right. Right? Yeah. He might be making a run for president. It's possible. I would definitely... No, I'm not going to say anything. I would definitely vote for him. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to see Coheed on tour, they just finished a tour, but they are going to be... Australia. In Australia, Australia. May 3rd through the 15th. So if you live in Australia... You probably live in Sydney. Get and, a dip. Yeah. Get dipped. And get dipped <laughs> and go see Coheed. I mean, that's like sounds like a fucking perfect day. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this is a super fun podcast. Thank you so much to Claudio for coming by. Thanks to Blaze for hooking this up. And uh, yeah, without any further ado, here is Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> I mean, it's been like a technical My best week. stuff. I know, right? <laughs> Let's just give up now. Um, so, you recently moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. How do you like it? So I far? like it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, I like coming out of my apartment and being in a situation where I can walk to everything. You know, my wife and I, we have a, we have a country house in uh, upstate New York and, you know, you have to drive sort of everywhere. Um, and also I find myself kind of falling asleep super early. And my son, who is now um, a little over a year and a half, I feel like he needs some stimulation. And whoa. Um, <laughs> as long as it's the producer. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I feel like he, he, he just needs that, you know, he needs something. And my wife and I, we tend to fall asleep super early and he's like itching for something. So now in the city, it like sort of gives us a, something to do yeah know, as opposed to just like passing out at seven o'clock and you got that park slope address man so you get those schools oh yeah that's right that's a <laughs> that's a, a nice perk about the area for sure yeah man I, I know a guy who like owns his studio apartment in park slope and he's uh -huh. had people with kids go can we just use your address, address? yeah <laughs> that's good oh man so what was sort of like did it take you longer to write this record or what did you have to do, approach in a different way uh, well, a little bit of both. I mean, um, you know, I, uh, so yeah, so I, I was definitely getting frustrated because a lot of the material that I was writing, like sort of fell outside of the normal lines of what I envisioned a Coheed and Cambria album to be. Um, so for a minute, I started to contemplate the idea of it being a solo album. Um, because, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't see a vision behind it. Certainly, between, you know, from the first third of the album. It was like more of a sense of identity crisis, if you will, where it's just like, this doesn't fit with what we do. What is this? Who am I in this band? Am I just, uh, you know, I, I just started to really get inside myself and, and start to question my value. Um, and then when my wife told me we were pregnant, sort of everything came into focus. And I started to write songs, you know, about her and about the contemplation of me becoming a father and who I would be and the inevitability of having to leave him because of the occupation and all that stuff sort of spilled into that. And, uh, and as we were waiting for my son to be born, we found out that our country home that we had put up for rent was turned into like a $300,000 a month grow house. 
So it was like completely destroyed. Um, and so we had to figure out how to rebuild that. Um, you know, sure, insurance took care of it, but at some point they thought we were involved, and so we had to be questioned and sequestered what? at the same time. That's yeah, insane. yeah. Um, so, so all while waiting for our son to be born, and then, um, oh, and uh, and so yeah, so so we dealt with that. We moved back out up to the country. We got our house sort of situated, um, you know, and I wrote a couple of songs up there, basically just about you know. Um, you know, the end result of like, okay, this isn't a solo album. This is really a Coheed and Cambria record. You know, I've always wanted this band to be limitless in terms of its creativity. So why should it make, be any different with the, uh, the concept, you know, like we can write a record without one, you know, this can be that. And, uh, and so that was it. I sort of closed the record with those three songs and, uh, and yeah. And then we decided we, you know, the country wasn't for us. We put it back up for rent <laughs> and uh and we're back now in the city gotcha that's interesting because i always assumed you had like the coheed like the themes of the records written for like the next 25 records or something well you know it's funny i do uh like i i you know originally my idea was that we were going to um continue the Afterman story that we had you know the last record that we put out that double album sort of situation but then I started to question, you know, I love the way that ended. I love the way the concept ends. It's very romantic in my mind because it's open-ended. Um, so I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to just completely conclude it and, you know, make everything finite. Um, but writing The Color Before the Sun, like, allowed me to really ponder the ideas of what would come after the No World for Tomorrow story. Because originally that was, like, the end of the whole concept. Everything was destroyed. But there's a way... Um, you know, cause I'm still sort of penning the outline for that accompanying, uh, graphic novel. Um, there's a way to push forward and to continue it. Um, so it allowed me the time to think about that and accept that, that, that I will, uh, I will continue going. And so those concepts have started to, to, uh, to sort of come up and, and percolate and, and now it's all about notating it. Nice. Dude, you're like Robert Jordan of rock, man. Oh, that's, that's super nice. I don't get that reference. Seriously. Wheel of Time? Gotcha. Wheel of Time. Wheel of yeah. Time was one of the books that when I started reading them, there were three. And he kept doing them year after year after year. And finally, by like year 10, I was like, I can't remember what's happening. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going on. He eventually passed away before he finished and like had to choose his successor, who I ended up interviewing when i was at mtv not knowing he was the guy and then halfway through the interview we both exploded and i was like you're brandon sanderson and like tweaked out but <laughs> it's like he had he has this entire world that he had going on forever and it just surpassed everything and God, that's claudio man he's uh -huh. got the whole thing like mapped out <laughs> it's insane the, i was curious i mean like it seemed to me so, so many of the early records are sort of character based. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you say like the stuff you're writing now is maybe more personal based on your life? Or would you say that's kind of both? Well, I think it, w it was always sort of personal. I mean, for me, um, it was a kind of an accident that I fell into the role of the singer sort of, you know, picture, if that makes any sense. And so, um, you know, that's why I created the concept, because I was this insecure, shy person. And it was a way for me to sort of tell my story but in the form of a mask and allow that to sort of take the beating as opposed to myself um so it's always it's always been very very personal um you know at, at the time actually when when uh i had created this idea in 1998 
I took a trip to Paris and that's sort of where I did it. And it was like going to be a side project to what Coheed was at the time. And Coheed was called Shibuti. It was something ridiculous. Didn't make sense for, <laughs> you know, the type of music that we were playing. And uh, when we signed to Equal Vision in 2000, they didn't like the name. And uh, some of the songs that I put into the demo that we had submitted to them were from the Coheed and Cambria project, uh, songs like Time Consumer and Everything Evil. And, uh, and so... When they didn't like the name, we decided, okay, well, we got to change it. And we tried a couple of names. And one of the guys in the band really liked the name Coheed and Cambria. So when we adopted it, that's when I sort of brought the concept idea along with it. So some of the songs outside of, of that were really just written from self. And then I kind of transformed into a concept. And then further going, like with, you know, In Keeping and the other stories, I always kept the concept in mind. Like, this is now Coheed and Cambria. This is... This is what I've always wanted to do, create this facade um, of science fantasy, um, you know, around a rock band. Interesting. Steven, do you have any graphic uh, I, just, I just want to ask you, uh, I, I saw you do a performance and Peter David did a reading. Yes. Of the book you worked on. Mm -hmm. when, how's he doing, by the way? He's uh, doing all right. I mean, his health is, uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to him for a while because we, right. we've, but the last I had spoken to him, he was doing, he's doing better after the stroke. Okay. Um, he's this amazing, like comic book sci-fi writer. He worked on like the Incredible Hulk. Like he's this like fascinating guy. And, and Claudia worked with him on this book, uh, which what, it was a Coheed. Was it which Yeah, part? it was, it was the uh, origin story yes. of Coheed and Cambria called uh, Year of the Black Rainbow. Yes. And they did like some performance. I think it was at the now gone Best Buy yep. at Union Square. Mm -hmm. It was super cool because he did this reading and then the band rocked out. It was insane. <laughs> it, was it is now the cool. PlayStation Theater. That's what it is now? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't miss New York. Really. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> really don't. It um, is. But uh, uh, comic-wise, what, what's happening? Is there uh, is there thought of... Um, taking whatever you're working on now, putting that in a comic form, or do you have other ideas floating around? Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, I mean, we haven't announced it, but uh, we are three or four issues into um, the Good Apollo story. We're actually redoing Good Apollo 1, Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, in a 12-issue maxi-series. And um, so, yeah, we're just waiting to get enough of the material complete before we actually make the, the, the announcement. But, I mean, I guess this is kind of an announcement. But yeah, you know. But that's happening right at on. the moment, you know. <laughs> but who who's putting it out? Um, well, we don't know yet. I, we're 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 probably boom. Um, oh, but you great. know, but a, but a, we're really undecided at the moment because you know, Evil Link is is my comic book imprint, and we're sort of toying around with the idea of self uh, releasing as well. Um, so we'll see. We're just we're still in limbo, um, just waiting for enough of the material to kind of come together um, before we actually make it official. I couldn't find it, but it's here. But I have a kill audio doll somewhere. Oh right, yes. Because <laughs> we were because you brought over. I think you came with them yep, years ago I did. at Fuse. Because I didn't. I get. I'm a big wuss, and I, I gave Mike one of the other podcast guys and our other producer. I gave him the bloody one. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a good one. Yeah, Stephen doesn't <laughs> like blood. No, Stephen's a big weenie. <laughs> I mean, this is maybe a naive question for someone who doesn't know a lot about graphic novels, but have you ever thought about trying to turn one into a film or do something like that? You know, we have. At one point, Leverage Entertainment, who's affiliated with Mark Wahlberg, fell into the picture of making the Amory Wars a feature. But, like, I think that agreement sort of has expired. Um, but it was something that was that was happening at one point in time. Um, 
but even like some of the other stories, Key of Z, um, that's one we're thinking of possibly adapting into some, you know, feature, uh, you know, and, and we'll see about the others. But those are the two that I think are, are the focal points. Okay. I, I think, I mean, your stuff has TV series written all over it. Like I, it's, I'm very picky about the nerdy stuff I watch. And I just watched um, the Leviathan show, The, the Expanse. Okay. Did you see oh, yeah. that? I, no, I, I, saw, no. I watched like, like four or five. It was like the closest thing to like the tone of the newer Battlestar that, yeah. uh-huh. that I fell into. And that's what I always compare like your work to. It's got that fantasy, but it's got that spiritual sci-fi-ness that goes together with that kind of stuff. So yeah, dude, either comic series or TV series is where I see your stuff going. Oh, I well, love it. Because would... it's got depth and it's got history and that's hard to put together. Yeah, absolutely. You need the time. And I think that's yeah. why the TV series is such a great idea. You know, you got that that space to really kind of work out all the details. Um, How do you get it together? Do you have like a, like a, like a cork board with like pins and string drawn to everybody or outlines or. Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's outlines. Like for me, um, I find that it'll happen. Like I was saying early in the morning, I'll walk around the neighborhood. Like just recently, uh, as we've been finishing the fear through the eyes of madness story, I've started to think of the no world for tomorrow uh, part. And one morning I was just walking around the neighborhood because at 10, I, you know, I get up at so early, there's nothing to do. And I just start jotting this, jotting it down. It just hits me and, and I just right in my iPhone, just in the notepad. And I'll just start either using the dictaphone application or just typing, um, you know, and, and it, it's all there. And then I'll submit it to my wife because my wife and I, we both, we collaborate on a lot of the books together. Really? And, yeah, yeah. When did that start? Because you had this idea, I think, before you guys got married, right? Absolutely, Everything. yeah. I mean, we started, our first book was the Kill Audio series that we did together um, because we had gotten into that because in, of our love for uh, vinyl toys. And so when we got the uh, prototype back, um, I was like, you know, there's, there's a story in this character. We should create one. And so we did. And that became like sort of the seed to what... Uh, what would be like Evil in Comics? Because then we went on to work on Key of Z together, um, uh, Translucid, which is like our superhero story, and now we're doing uh, Good Apollo One together. Um, That's so cool. But yeah, so I'll bounce it off of her, and you know she brings a realism to it because I I tend to stay like so into my head and so into the fantasy that uh, you know it is it I forget that people are reading these things you know what i mean <laughs> like so so she'll help kind of tone it down and anchor it into uh something that makes sense <laughs> oh that's cool is, is there anything uh earlier that you wish she had been there for that to help anchor down absolutely the first the first second stage tur- the second stage right. turbine blade arc um uh i mean she was there sort of but mm-hmm. not in this right. degree you know um so uh yeah i kind of wish she was there for that Wow, it's a heavy collaboration because, you know, you can't just leave. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. It's time to go to work. <laughs> yeah. What time do you go to sleep usually? I, I'm I mean, sorry. I'm like fascinated because I've been trying to get up earlier and doing a terrible job. Oh, <laughs> normally, uh, you know, if I'm not on the road, uh, I get do. I'll fall asleep fairly early. I mean, eight o'clock, seven o'clock. Sometimes I'll just pass out. Uh, but for the most part, even if I stay up late, there's like an internal clock. And I think it has a lot to do with my parents because they were, my dad's a blue collar worker. So when he was work, he'd wake up and head to work at five o'clock in the morning. So I would wake up. 
I would hear him stir. My mother doesn't sleep very much. She, so I would just hear them stirring and it would like just wake me up. Um, sure. That didn't apply when school was in the picture, <laughs> you know, but, right. uh, but somehow that leaped into my subconscious and now it's just what I do. You know, what did he do? He was, uh, uh, he worked at a heat treatment. He was heat treatment at a factory, uh, called Chromaloy. Uh, they do, they heat treat airplane parts. And one of the, oh, wow. one of the parts that they treat is the second stage turbine bleed. And that's where I got the name for the, for the first part of the concept. Cause I based Coheed and Cambria on my mother and father, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and so it just made sense to me to kind of name the story after the part that he would work on. Wow. Minds are blowing. <laughs> <laughs> for real. I have nothing to say. <laughs> I've, I've got a kind of, of a, I've got kind of a non sequitur, but how fun is it to play, uh, Double neck electric guitar on stage. You know, it, <laughs> it, it looks so awesome. <laughs> it's fun, but sometimes I, you know, when when we brought that into the picture, it was like, okay, well, this is a gimmick, you know, because at the time we started getting compared to these like classic rock bands, and I was like, okay, well, what's more classic than the double neck and thinking of the Led Zeppelin comparison? So I was like, let's bring that into play. But I found I was like, I really have no need for the twelve string portion of this guitar, you know, unless it's in production or, or something like that. So now I have to figure out ways to incorporate it so it doesn't just look silly up there that I'm like, oh, I'm just ripping on this one <laughs> neck. Like <laughs> I just try to get the twelve in there. So See, uh, I think that's cooler if you don't touch the twelve. Yeah, just like whatever. <laughs> just tune, it, tune it to like some crazy open chord that you can just hit like once every that's so often. That's a great idea. <laughs> that is. Blow people's mind. Wow, what is that chord, man? <laughs> Have it tuned to a hard day's night totally. Just leave it. That's good. <laughs> and then when you hit it once, people will be really confused, really psyched, and then forget about it. <laughs> oh, man. So we were talking before, um, you and we've toured with Silver Snakes a lot in the West Coast. Uh-huh. And uh, you signed, they're on Evil Inc. now. Mm-hmm. How did you, have you been doing the label for a while, or how did that sort of come about? You know, it doesn't seem like you have a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's fairly new. I mean, it was something that was brought to my attention from the guys at the comic book uh, portion of, of the label um, because there was this one band um, from New Jersey called Thank You Scientists. And, you know, they have it's – a ve- it's a progressive rock band um, and they have like horns that are involved. It's very, very technically proficient but beautiful songs and the lead singer happens to sing in a high register. So they were like, oh, well, this might make sense for us. Let's maybe put something together and try a label and i was like okay well let's do that and and that was really successful for us you know um and we thought well why not let's try silver snakes and silver snakes was a band that we had played a couple of shows with um on the west coast and uh i had really liked them and then it just happened that one day uh one of the guys at the at the label said you know that i guess they were out of their contract had a new record looking for a home and wondered if I was interested. And I said, you know, I'm sure, sure I'm interested, you know, and, uh, and that was pretty much it, you know, but it's a good thing to have. I mean, that's one thing about evil link. That's, that's, uh, that's special and different from other labels is that we can provide an audience. That's part of what we do. You know, it's like, we'll sign your band and we'll put you in front of, you know, in front of the audience. We'll take you out on tour with us, um, and try to get you an, ex- ex- we'll promise you an exposure that maybe someone else can't. Um, and that's sort of the same thing I do, the same like sort of principle I do with the comic books. Like, you know, on paper, you know, in terms of like the sales on maybe say, uh, you know, a comic book retailer, it might not make a whole lot of sense. There might not be a whole lot of numbers, but we take them out and we sell like 
I mean, we sell 30, 40 copies of the hardcover editions a night. You know, it's same thing. If I'll just, uh, you know, direct to consumer, if you will, sort of. So, you're, so, so not only are you bringing merch out on tour, but you're bringing all the comics. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, Evil Inc. has a has a big um, presence at the Coheed booth for sure. I was going to say because, you know, shirts are heavy enough. I know. But our <laughs> merch guy is beautiful. Sean is, <laughs> is really great and like uh, does a great job. So, uh, so, yeah. What's the crowd like these days at a Coheed show? Is it mostly dudes? Is it like a mix? You know, it's a mix. That's funny that you bring that up because for a while, because of the concept, because of the progressive sort of tendencies, um, one would just assume that it's male oriented and sure at one point it it was but the other day it was like i was like oh yeah i'm 37 years old now so i don't really care so much about but i'm like there's there's females in our audience there's a lot of them and they're crowd surfing and doing their thing so it's really for everybody yeah that's great <laughs> coheed is for the people yeah. coheed is for the children i mean what's it like for you kind of looking back like when you guys started out i mean all, you know, whatever Thursday, like thrice, mm-hmm. today, all these kind of EVR bands, all these bands got sort of big and so many of them are gone. Some mm-hmm. of them stuck around. Like, how do you sort of look back at like 2002, 2003, that whole like summer of Screamo when it was like, yeah, I'd, I know it was a long time ago. But. No, no. To- I mean, I don't know. I mean, we were lucky. We were an oddity. Um, I mean, I still think we are to this day. Like, um, you know, I mean, even the idea that we called ourselves Shibuti, like what that we had so disconnected from a scene, you know, like and um, Equal Vision took us under our wing and, and allowed us to be a part of one. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's I look back on it and I just think, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. I loved the the idea of the van touring and just the interesting people that we met along the way. And, you know, but. I don't know. We just, I really don't know. Yeah. You know, I just, I've come to like a, to like a wall when I think of that. I mean, I think Coheed, you know, you say that all of these bands have kind of disbanded and, and, and have gone away, but you know, we genuinely love what we do and not to say that those, those bands don't, but I just feel like there's a lot of heart in what we do. I mean, even aside from like the, that, that era of, of that type of music, I mean, Going down the down the line, and and you know half the band falling victim to to chemical dependencies, and one of the guys getting arrested for a bomb threat at at a Walgreens, and all of these, and yet we're still here. Like none of that stuff stopped us, you know, um, because I think we genuinely love each other and and love what we do. Like I mean, I I don't know what what else would I do? I don't know if I could live if I couldn't express myself through song, you know, because I know I certainly can't do it as a person. Like right. I have such a hard time communicating. I mean, this has taken years to stay, to to talk behind a microphone with with you guys. I mean, it's something I remember that was not easy. Interview year, years ago, and you wouldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was it was Fuse. It was a uh, it was a uh, Starland Ballroom. It was like a tsunami benefit, and you guys were like, Meh. <laughs> and at the and at the time, I was you know brand new at doing this, and I was like, oh man, wonder what happened. And then years later, you're like, yeah, just shy. Yeah. It's, and I was like, yeah, that dude, fine. That's legit. That's a legit answer. That's totally great. <laughs> I mean, I how, think it is fascinating what you guys have gone through with the, I mean, remember the first set of lineup changes, band kept going. Um, and then I think Josh is now back in. He's been mm-hmm. back in for a while now, you know? Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the bomb threat. That's insane. I don't even know how you guys handled that. I think, I guess the secret is um, 
separating the band from people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a shame. But how does the band succeed? You know, yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But we just somehow just keep keep going. The cockroach of rock and roll sometimes, I like to put it. <laughs> well, it's funny. I think, you know, I think that one of your strengths is probably you were mentioning that you guys didn't feel like you fit into a particular scene. And I think that a lot of times that can actually give a band longevity. You know, like if you if you invented the scene, you might have some longevity. But like all the bands that came after the inventor, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they get forgotten. But every now and then you have a band. And I, you know, I couldn't really think of a particular example, but um, uh, I think that that's what it is. Like mm-hmm. you're actually really lucky. You've got this. You've got a huge audience, and part of it is part of the scene. But you guys don't fit into that mold, yeah. and that's that's a good thing, you know, because it means that you're not going to fade out when the fad fades. Mm, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Nice of you. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. For do, sure. do you think it's the storytelling? Because there's there's like, you know. I know the kind of person you are. We're all nerds. We like comics. Uh-huh. We grew up that way. We like fantasy books. And it's, oh, shit, how does it end? It might not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like J.K. Rowling can't stay away. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, what? what's next? Oh, crap, they wrote something new. Do you think that might be part of the, your band's appeal? I mean, it could be, for sure. I mean, it's definitely one thing that that makes us stand out from the rest. Um, it's 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 certainly a, it plays a role. Um, but... You know, sometimes, you know, I think about like a record like like uh, the one that we just wrote without the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of us sort of assumed that there would be some backlash because we, you know, that was absent. But it's, you know, it's very much embraced by the audience, you know. And I think they've sort of always understood that, um, you know, concept aside, all of these songs and, and themes are coming from a very real place. You know, you just need to kind of, look past the facade if you really want the true story um but i mean i think i definitely think that that the concept keeps people like you know questioning you know i think there's still people today who would who would hear you know i remember back when uh hell on fuse we were playing blood red summer ad nauseum and loving it every single time you know it's one of those songs that i i don't get tired of at all but you can hear that outside of the idea outside of the story and it still fits yeah yeah i think that's the key to you guys is that you you could go to a fan and go yeah the storyline they can go yeah whatever i like the record yeah you're right and you know that's the thing is some progressive rock bands with the concepts will sometimes like force feed the idea of the concept to you through them through their lyrics and that kind of turns me off a little bit um so i try to keep the themes as universal as possible so you know you don't have to feel like the the concept is a burden and like, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into this because it's just too much for me. Like, uh, it's really just an extension. It's just something there. If you really want to, you know, exercise it, but you really don't have to. How about a musical? Uh, funny you say that, Steven, (laughs) while I was writing, (laughs) writing the color before the sun, I was working on a musical. And I think that's why this record is very light in terms of the progressive tones. Because I think I exercised that with the musical. And I, you know, it's funny. I was I was partnered up with a playwright. And at the time, I brought a few of the Coheed albums and the concepts or the comics, you know, as ideas for adaptations. And, um, and they were like, well, we want to try to do something like maybe a Victorian novel. So they chose one. And I did all the research on it. And, uh, and I, I wrote the first act. It's about 
15 songs maybe about that. Um, but I, I can't say the name of it just yet because we're trying now we're going down the fa- the stages of like financiers and it's pride and prejudice and zombies, isn't it? No, <laughs> no, no, but it's really cool. Like it, I, you know, I've, I fell in love with the story. I wasn't familiar with it before, but I, I fell in love with it. And, um, you know, and I had a lot of fun, I had a lot of fun, you know, trying to incorporate the themes from the book into the music and taking certain phrases that I thought were relevant and could make good lyrics. Um, oh, that's cool. You did book and lyrics. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and and the playwright did a great job gluing it all together with with the uh, with the book and and um, but we'll see. I, I don't know. It, it's just kind of floating around at the moment. Um, Dude, and- musicals are a long con. That shit takes years like I, I remember seeing spring awakening and uh-huh. that that was in workshop for seven years oh wow wow before going off broadway like music like we've helped out with a uh, fat mike's musical home street home uh-huh and they keep doing stuff with it but like you don't know, like musicals is a long con man like mm-hmm. that takes forever to get up there and doing it people are like well you wrote this you put it on nah <laughs> they take forever and then you're always changing shit and tweaking stuff so even when you think it's finished they'll be like yeah, let's yeah. try it with a wolf as the lead. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I loved it. I had such a good time. And, and maybe that's where I exercised my crazy for the neighbors that I was sharing the apartment <laughs> situation with. Because like the first song is 13 minutes long and it kind of goes through the ne- the origin of, of who our main character is and his family and who they are. And you know, I switched through all the characters because, you know, I'm the only one singing the parts. And to give the playwright an idea of who's who, you know, the voices change and... Um, I just had so much fun. Like the love interest is like this singer in this bar. And, you know, I created this like sort of eighties, like almost like Billy Ocean type sort of bed for her music. And it's very sexual. And here I am like singing this like female voice. Well, I kind of sing in a high register, but trying to be like sexual (laughs) and I can, and I can hear my neighbors and I know they can hear me. And one day when I moved out, sorry, I know I'm jumping all over the place. Oh, it's awesome. The woman came. (laughs) She comes as we're leaving the apartment. She's like, you know, which one's the singer? You know, I, we heard this beautiful woman's voice. One day. No <laughs> and I way. was like, oh, man. Yeah. I was like, my nightmare. They, can, they could hear. Uh, <laughs> At least they weren't, didn't say you sounded like Eddie Lee or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. That was, <laughs> Dude, you had me at Billy Ocean. Uh, yeah. I, oh, it's cool. I have a question. <laughs> when you have like a 13-minute song, is it hard to like remember all the parts or does it just sort of... You know, it's not hard to remember... Um, you know, for me, uh, at the time when I started to write the the longer songs, I would always document them. I was lucky, fortunate. When I was a kid, you know, my dad got me a four track because um, I was always interested in cataloging and recording. And so a four track situation has always been a part of my writing process. Um, so usually... Is that me? I'm sorry. That's me. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, my oh. new it's my new computer and i can't figure out how to turn anything off oh i know that i know that situation <laughs> and then i switched phones with uh i like my wife got a new phone so she gave me her old one i'm like oh that's easy i'll just put the new sim card in nope not easy <laughs> yeah. giant pain in the ass can't figure anything out so i'm it's brad texting me so it's all okay <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but for me it's like I, that's always been a part of my writing process and and uh yeah, so so I as I write, I will catalog, and 
for the most part, um, you know, a song like a 13 minute song, it's not hard because for me, it's like, I don't see the end. I don't see the punctuation to the statement until I get there, you know? Um, so it's, you know, I just keep driving home till I get my point across. And then once I'm there, I'll, I'll punctuate it with like something that will really exclaim that this is the end. Got it. I mean, was there ever sort of like getting back to what we were talking about earlier, like with the lineup changes and all that stuff? I mean, was there ever a moment where you're just like thought about going on hiatus or taking a break? Because I feel like there aren't a lot of bands that have kind of continued for as long as you guys, even with mm-hmm. different members, you know? Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had several moments. I mean, even even on the sec when we toured on second stage, like I had a hard time dealing with the attention that came to me, you know, with the the hair and and all that stuff. I mean, one night I forget where it was. We were in um, San Diego, uh, Glass House, I believe was the venue, and you know, we were being asked to load out, and I like, uh, you know. Uh, guy after guy was, was coming up to me asking me to move our stuff and I couldn't find any of the band members and just it was easy to target me because the hair right, was out right. and it got to the point where like I got super frustrated and I grabbed an amplifier and slammed it against the wall like I just lost it um and uh and the band was going to break up like the band was over I flew home guys got in, a, in the in the van drove home and then we sat down with my aunt who is a social worker here in Manhattan and she sort of mediated the situation with us so this was one instance i mean there's multiple instances where the band was going to break up but ultimately i think we all really care for each other we really like playing music we've been doing i've been doing this since i was 12 years old you know josh who's been in the in the band i mean he's like he's been doing it probably earlier than that you know um you know so you know, there's just been those moments. I mean, definitely the 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 instance where the guys left the band. I mean, that's a story in itself. I mean, we were about to do a, a, a you know, we were about to take this. We were, we put out a second single for for Good Apollo, the Good Apollo record, and we were supposed to go on tour with it it through Europe in support of that single. And like an hour before we're supposed to get on the plane, I get we get this call that you know Josh isn't going to get on the plane he's he's going he can't he can't get down the stairs and um there's demons this is the story and so i'm like oh my god what are we going to do and this is at the time that guys are starting to fall victim of chemical dependency and um you know and i'm like what what are we going to do so i called management and i say i tell him listen i think the drum tech plays drums and he's watching him he might be able to figure it out so let's just get over there. Let's do a couple of rehearsal days and we'll, you know, we'll play. And so uh, we get to the airport. Drum tech doesn't know that he's going to do that. You know, he lands. <laughs> we tell him this information. He's like, okay, I'll figure it out. But we get there and, you know, the bass player doesn't look like he's in the greatest of health. You know, he's beat, you know, and we get to the, you know, we get to Europe and it's time to do it. And it just sort of falls apart. You know, the bass player ends up flying home, but Josh flies back to Europe and wants to do it. And he gets there and there's a bass player that's sitting in for Mike that's going to replace him. And by that time, Travis and I were both completely exhausted. And uh, we were like, you know what? We just got to fold up. We got to cancel this tour. And that was about the extent of it. It was just a cancellation. We canceled the tour. We came home and we picked up the pieces, Travis and I. You know, we wrote a record, No World for Tomorrow, basically about those guys. 
you know, sure, it has its place in the concept, but just about them and how no world for tomorrow, like it, it was possibly a no world for Coheed and Cambria, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, I mean, that was an instance, you know, the Mike instance that, I mean, by that time we, we were so calloused by all the stuff that had happened with us, you know, that it was like, he's, he's about to get in, put in a cop car and go to jail. It was like, the guitar tech can play guitar. All he has to do is play the root notes, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? At that time, like some of the stuff that Mike was playing was really hard for me to listen to. You know, so it was just, he was always ducked. So I was like, all you have to do is play the root notes, figure out what the root notes are, and we'll just get through it. And what, we did. What happened with Mike exactly? Well, uh, he, he, um, he went to a, uh, we were on tour with Soundgarden, and he went into a Walgreens and ho- uh, handed the pharmacist his, I guess it was his cell phone, and on the cell phone it just said, you know, I guess he w- needed some Oxycontins or some, some prescription drug, but that, that he had a bomb on him. That's my understanding of it. Um, but yeah, that's what that's why he left the band. Yikes. Are you still are you still uh, in touch, do you know? Or? No, I haven't spoken to Mike. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I can he, understand. Yeah, I mean I, I don't really know what his situation is. But you know, it's just funny. Like I think of our band and, and you know, I think of the preconceived idea of that like, we're these like you know, the you know, the, we're the we're the rock band with the comic book. You know, and what comes with that? It's like it's like, oh, they're safe, right? They're, you know, but we're 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 fucking crazy. <laughs> I, I feel like I've noticed that too. Like a lot of the bands that you think would be like the most mellow, like guys are to end up being like you're like what well, these guys and the opposite too, and the know? opposite totally. Yes, yeah, the opposite is definitely true. We did a, the last podcast we did here last week. We had Nikki Six on. Oh, okay. So yeah. <laughs> He was all business. He was all business. Oh, was yeah. he? Yeah. yeah, no, no real. I think he, that guy's probably told every crazy story yeah. and like put it in a book. Yeah, so he didn't need to. <laughs> yeah. So it's, what, quite, it's quite a book. Yes, yeah. it is. So you guys are out with Glassjaw now. We are. Yes. Has that been cool? Are you, are you like a fan of? Oh theirs? yeah, that's been great. I mean, Worship and Tribute was like a mainstay in the van when we were touring back back when that record came out. Um, tremendous fans. So it's real um, honor to be out with them and. You know, uh, we've, you know, we've, we've crossed paths back in the day, um, you know, uh, so yeah, it's just a lot of fun to see, see them out there, Justin and Daryl, like, you know, just doing their thing. It's, it's nice. Yeah, that's great. And what, and what's, how's that, how's the adjustment with the kid being on tour? You know, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but at the, at, you know, at first it was super difficult. Now I think it's it's a bit easier because I understand that everything I'm doing now is is for him. It's to give him the life that, you know, I mean, not that I, I had a great life. I really did, despite whatever, you know, situations I had. But, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it's it's exciting when, when, when I can take him out. Actually, Travis, the other guitar player, he's, his son is four months older than Atlas, my son. And they come out a lot together. And so the other day we were like trying out the confetti cannons at rehearsal in Boston. And these two kids are, you know, uh, RC just turned two. Uh, and, and they're just running in the confetti blasts, you know, That's and just awesome. playing in the lights. Um, you know, it's just really cool and great to see. Uh, you know, I, I, everything, like I said, everything I do now is, is for him, for my wife. And, and you know, and I think, I think he... He'll, and he'll understand. Oh, I, completely. You know, yeah. 
Yeah, I, um, uh, <laughs> my therapist always has this line of it's like, you don't put the oxygen mask on the kid first. You take care of you, then you get the mm-hmm. kids set so they don't freak out. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, it's like, it's an important thing. I and mean, also technology nowadays isn't, you're not there physically, but it helps, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we could be in 1984 and I'm throwing coins into a into a payphone you know now yeah. at least i'm somewhat present right. through facetime and things like oh, that you completely. know it's great it's amazing that's very that's exciting and i don't i mean your your longevity is probably due in fact i don't know just to how you guys treat it how got man having an aunt who's a social worker and that helps ben being able to <laughs> being able to sit down and talk because yeah. one of those instances would have destroyed any other band yep absolutely um yeah, no, we're very lucky. We really are. And I think, I don't know, again, it's just, we're a family. We're, we're a highway family. You know, we've seen things about each other that our blood relation has, we'll never see, you know, a side that they'll never see. And, um, and I think we've come to really understand that and accept that. And, and it's empowered us in, in a way, you know, that. Is there a place you haven't toured that you guys want to hit? Um, I don't know. Uh, we haven't done Russia, um, but you know, there, there's a, there's several places. But I, I'm I'm not sure. Like I, I'm down to go wherever. But there's nothing that really like like falls into my mind. That's like okay, well, I need to go there. You know, I think we've hit a lot of those places for for me that I've oh, cool. uh, you know I've sort of daydreamed about. Wow! Right on. That yeah. Good <laughs> so, so you get to sleep at home tonight or do you have to roll out last night i did oh, tonight cool. i'll That's roll cool. out gotcha. um, but i gotta tell you i kind of like i like sleeping on the bus yeah you know the white noise and the rocking really helps me um i have like something that's going on in my right ear where like you know there's like this 4k tone that happens so when i wake up it's like i'm up like the, maybe that's why i get up early yeah because this thing is um but uh you know, for the most part, it's I do I do like being on the road. For some reason, I think all of us do. Like we fall into this regimen. Um, once we get home, we're really we're home, and it's like a vacation. Like we all just kind of don't even think about being on the road. But when we're on the road, it gets really strict, and not in a bad way. It's just you kind of fall into that into that uh, like you know, I, military. Sort I was like, well, the simplicity of it because you didn't have to really make decisions. That's what I always liked about being on tour. It's like your job was like reduced to like get to the show, play a great show, get some rest. Like yeah. those are the three things that you had to do. And that was literally it. Yeah. And anything else was just for kicks, you know? And like, I just love the fact that there was no fucking decisions to be made. You know, you didn't have to decide like, you didn't even have to decide what you're going to wear. Really, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you always wear the same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's drenched. Like, whoa. Yeah. You don't have to decide if you're going to go to your friend's fucking party or opening or if you're going to pay your bills you're right man actually you're that's like one of the things i can't stand about just like being around is the indecision yeah you know there's sometimes large groups will bother me in that in that way you know um (laughs) even when we go out on like times where it's like hey we got a day off let's go out to eat it's like the the other day we were going to go out to eat in, in chicago and the group sort of converged onto this one place and i was like yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, it's just like, oh man. So, so you're in Chicago, so you went over to Graham Cracker Comics and just hung out. I did. I went to Chicago Comics and I went to yeah, and Graham Cracker. Graham Cracker's an amazing comic yep. book store. 
Absolutely. I actually went up to the guy I managed it and I said, I want to thank you for putting everything in alphabetical order despite who the publisher is because I know what I'm looking for. Me too. Every other store pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I also liked? It's, it's a shame too. In Brooklyn, there was a small uh, shop called uh, in, in Park Slope. Uh, it was there, Bergen Street Comics. Did you ever go there? No. It was really nice. They they would they would uh they would create categories. So it didn't you know, it was like science fiction, western, yeah. superhero, that sort of situation. I really liked that comic shop. It was pretty close to our apartment, but it's no longer there. Oh yeah. I get did the uh out here in Jersey there's like one uh where I live, there's like one comic book store and they never have anything I want. Like I'll go in and go, Hey, you got that new Warren Ellis book? Oh yeah, we only ordered two. Yeah. That's Why? like the shop I have right now. I'm sorry to me cut you off. <laughs> no, please. No. Easily cut me off. <laughs> no. This frustrates me because I'm like, I know there's more than two people who want that book because they bought them and yeah. I am here. <laughs> I think it's so funny because I feel like you're doing sort of the opposite of everyone I feel like who's our age. I have so many friends that have kids and move upstate and get out of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And you're sort of doing the opposite thing. I know. I mean, at one point, we'll see. We probably will end up moving, you know, out of the out of the city but for the time being i really like it i like the resources for our son and totally um but we'll see i mean it is it's it's expensive it's ridiculous actually like you know i was looking at some of the other areas and what you can spend in park slope for like a two-bedroom and a townhouse in another you know what i mean like just right or like even outside the city i mean i was like looking at this the other day and i was like i was like we can get a mansion i mean our house upstate is is nice it's a lot it's like 300 3600 square feet it's i mean it's it's a big house i didn't live in a house like that when i was growing up you know um but uh but we pay a fraction of what you would pay for a two-bedroom apartment here it's like ridiculous yeah and we've got like five acres of land up there oh wow yeah it's ridiculous so you could build your block in Park Slope. I probably yes. <laughs> yeah, you, probably can, you can never look. <laughs> you can never look at. Don't look at real estate outside of the city. It's just yeah. The price yeah. of a one you know the price of a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. You can get a huge, beautiful Victorian mansion in St. Louis, and that's not even a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're in St. Louis. I know. And, yeah. And no offense to the people who live in St. Louis, but I used to live in St. Louis. <laughs> that's why I'm not there. <laughs> beautiful town yeah my wife does that we live like 20 minutes from pennsylvania and she i'm gesturing with my thumb as if you guys could care um uh and and it's and she'll she'll, she drives herself nuts like we could live here and have twice i'm like just stop the schools are good that's why we're here that's that adult thing where like you want their quality of life to be beyond what you had and not think about it Mm -hmm. you know and it's like, and then you start thinking, oh my God, when did I become my dad? Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Steve, are you wearing a warp, a warp Tour hat? I am. Nice. Yes. Warp Tour Because t- I, oh. like many other people, I wear free shit. Yep. I feel you. <laughs> Have fun. you, do you guys miss doing Warp Tour? When's, you probably haven't done it in a while, I imagine. We haven't, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, that's a tough tour. Yeah. It really, yeah. God, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We know. Yeah, We've all done it. Uh, so I don't miss it. I mean, at one point we did, uh, you know, we did, um, I mean, I miss that. I'm, what I do miss is like the camaraderie of bands, you know, that was, so that was a lot of fun, you know? Um, but you, you know, there, there are moments about Warped Warp Tour, little details that, that I'll miss, but I think ultimately, I, I, you know, I'm not really a big festival guy. Yeah. You know, uh, 
Because they're awful? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've been to a few as a, as a fan, but I just... It's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like, I like when it, the energy is like confined to a space and it always feels like it's going to blow up. Yeah. You know, whereas like, I mean, that ha- it can happen in it, but there's just so, there's so much, you know, it's, it's the open air and I don't know. It doesn't feel as contained. It doesn't feel as volatile. You know, outdoor shows, they just don't have the focus and power, man. Yeah. It's not the mystery. Yeah. There's no mystery, you know, like even with a great, high production show it's just there's not the mystery and fucking like yeah i don't know well it's also like i feel like they try to do too much like we played a festival a couple years ago and like you could hear the other stages from yeah. your stage and yeah. you're like it's too well, much it's, you know yeah. what it is it's like the difference between going to a movie theater to watch a movie and watching it like in a bar <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like it's totally yeah you just you don't get the forced focus kind of yeah did you guys see deadpool yet i did I haven't no, seen it. No, shut up. I haven't seen it. I'm just asking if it was good. Relax. I haven't seen it either. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I oh, did. you haven't seen it? I thought you said you saw it. I haven't seen it, no. Oh, okay. Then I take back the shut up. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I saw it twice, actually. I took my my wife on Valentine's Day. That happens to be her favorite of the comic book characters. Oh, nice. Although she's not very much into char- uh, comic book uh, superhero characters. Like, if there's one she could try to read, I think it's him. And so, you know, so she's that. So we saw Deadpool twice. Uh, once we saw it on the road with the band, it was a lot of fun. I, I I enjoyed it very much. We had Joe Kelly in here. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. I, you guys uh, have com- you guys have comic. We we've had a couple. A couple. Um, Joe is he's the one man of action guy who lives on the East Coast, uh-huh. and he's beyond cool. I mean, they're all beyond cool. But I met them when I was at MTV, and they would always come by and do all kinds of stuff. And he was like, "Yeah, I'll come by," and oh. was like. You know, it's like you, like like very inspiring creatively, like gets up, writes his own stuff, works on other things. And he's just just super, super great. You know? Oh, cool. And people don't realize how much of like how much he made Deadpool the way it is, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, making him um, like Fabian Nicesia did a really good job starting it off. Uh-huh. But, but Joe Kelly just made him the smart ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, because I was, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I was like wondering, because I was thinking about when Liefeld created him, and I'm not so sure I remember the comedy, the the comic sort of mm-hmm. aspect of Deadpool then, like back yeah. when what X Force sort of mm-hmm. started to happen. Um, it was actually yeah. New Mutants before it before it was X Force. Oh yeah, because I read New Mutants from issue one all the way up to. Right before Cable and Deadpool showed up, because I was like, boy, storytelling is just crap. I'm not going to read this anymore. And then Liefeld showed up, and I, like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Do you think, like, the whole, like, movie or, like, Netflix adaptations of the superhero thing is, like, getting out of control? Do you generally like them? Um, I I think it depends. Yeah, I guess it depends. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's entertaining. I mean, I guess it's going to come to a point where it's going to meet ahead and, and people are going to no longer maybe i mean, or maybe not i don't know yeah it's tough to say people seem to, lo- to seem to like them and gravitate towards them yeah you know um i'm surprised we haven't talked about star wars yeah <laughs> uh I'm, I'm not a big star wars person are you guys i love star wars yeah <laughs> i'm in the minority where shall we begin claudio where shall we begin? <laughs> i don't know today was a big day in my son's uh life he said star wars Oh wow, that's it. huge! Yeah, my uh, my <laughs> wife and I, uh, you know, our apartment's a little uh, little funny, 
Um, just because we have a few droids like on the wall. My wife got me this like awesome 1977 original Star Wars poster signed by one of the Hildebrandt brothers. And really? it's got like a Boba Fett and a Darth Vader sketch on it. And so now Atlas, my son, he'll point to it. And when he points to it, that means it's time to watch Star Wars. And he'll watch it. He'll watch the first 24 minutes of it because it's basically the adventures of the droids. He really mm-hmm. likes C-3PO and R2-D2. They're like, you know, his jam. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, today was the first day he had said it. <laughs> my, my girls <laughs> Congratulations. <enjoy> <laughs> Dude, hey, that's a big moment. My girls enjoy saying, we don't like Star Wars, Dad. You like Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Then I go, there's a princess in it. <laughs> they do like Frozen, though, right? Yeah, they like that Frozen. Yeah, they love that. I don't know. Their their jam right now is um, uh, Brave, which I'm into because oh, it's cool. like the big fuck you to all princesses. <laughs> but did you like Force Awakens? What'd I did. You think? I did. I saw it uh, a few times, four times actually. I saw it the fourth time with the band in Antwerp. Like we all, like the whole band and crew, got together. We're all like super excited, and we we're like, let's go do it together. And so we did. And um, but uh, you know, the first day I saw it with my wife. I think at one point in the movie, like I was so transfixed, uh, she at one point asked me a question and I couldn't believe how transfixed and into the movie I was that she just took me out. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I've ever experienced anything like that, like that sort of attention. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, I liked it at first, you know, I definitely thought of it as like, it was a reboot without calling it a reboot, you know, it definitely mm-hmm. lived on the skeleton of a new hope and, and it had, you know, pieces of, of some of the other movies in it but i think for me i think it, it couldn't be any any less than that because i think it would have been re- met with a lot of resistance you know yeah. um you know it was a nice kicking off point you know there were some things like when i think about the timeline and i think about the destruction of the second death star in return of the jedi and then we move into the force awakens if you're deciding to go that you know and watch them in succession you're like oh it's another death star that kind of that kind of bums me out a little bit but for the most part you know, I very much enjoyed it. Like after that first night, we saw it the preview night. I went the next morning. I'd asked my wife, you know, now with a kid, it's like it's a little difficult to just like say, hey, I'm going to go do this. But I asked mm-hmm. her and she was like, you're allowed. You can go. So I went. I went to the, like the nine or ten o'clock showing in the next morning and I loved it even more the second time I saw it. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I need to see it a second time because I, I watched it once and I got uh, I was really bummed. You were. I liked it. But I was really bummed, and it took me like, because I don't. I, I'm very specific with, with what reviewers I read because uh-huh. you know, there's people going to attack it, whatever. So I, there's somebody sent me one. I was like, wow, this really articulated why I was bummed, and I was bummed because the happy ending of Return of the Jedi is gone. What? So Return of the Jedi ends, and everybody's yeah, Death like, "Star's over, Empire's yeah, yeah. done." Nope, it's not. And guess what? You know who sucks as a Jedi Master? Luke. He did the same thing. Oh, yay, Han and Leia are together. Nope, not anymore. Oh, and their kid's an asshole. You know, and it's <laughs> and it started, and I was like, oh crap. Like there's it 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 brought an era an of <laughs> reality. What? What do you say? I Brad? like this. I like the summary. It's I mean, I knew I knew it, but it's just nice to hear it. You know, but summarized. it's like so it brought this era of reality to uh-huh. it. And 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 the article I read, which is very interesting, was how um, there are no endings anymore 
But, you know, as comic book fans, we know this because every few years they retcon shit. We, we want to see new stories, yeah, you know, uh-huh. um, and then we want to see a new take on an old story sometimes, you know, Killing Joke, prime example, that yeah. kind of thing. But with Star Wars, I was like, because I loved going back to the world. I was like, this is great. Um, uh, I love that it's I have daughters. I love that it's a girl who's uh-huh. the hero. I think that's awesome. But um, it's like, oh, there's another holographic weird emperor kind of guy. There's another big giant yeah, thing. It, it was that that's what got me. Yeah. And, no. and, I lo- and uh, the more I thought about it, I was like, fuck, those Ewoks died for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for I think I agree with you. Definitely. The, that's a the fact that it lives on the on that 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 beat for beat sort of mm-hmm. skeletal new hope kind of thing i i definitely i definitely agree but part of me you know feels as though you know they 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 probably wanted to stray away from the the prequels as much as possible and sort of the first one kind of starts that way where things are somewhat okay and this trade federation starting to starting to muck things up a little bit and your villain is sort of in the shadows whereas this time i think they just wanted it to be like to feel as like resonant as the other one where it's like the bad guys are are really relevant, you know, in there, um, you know, but I agree with you entirely like the, yeah. you know, it would have been it would have been nice to see something completely original because, again, like I'm going to watch those movies one day because I'm going to do it. Well, we think we all are, <laughs> you know, we're going to watch them back to back. And coming out of Jedi into Force Awakens, you're just going to be like, oh, man, I kind of wish that it wasn't another, like, ultimate weapon that mimicked the one they just destroyed. Right. Yeah. You it's know? like a, it's it a bummer. It's, it's like the Rebel Alliance is still – they're rebelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, – that, that, that really got to me. And, and I was like, I wonder why this is, this is really affecting me. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, because as a kid um, – Watching a pirate, I lived in an army base in Europe, and we got a pirated, we got a bootleg of Return of the Jedi that my uncle sent. That shows like, like it pans so you can read what Jabba the Hutt's saying. Like that's how bad it was. <laughs> All the kids in the neighborhood sat and we watched and we're like, ah, yay! You know, even the bad song at the end before it got renewed. I was like, oh, cool, it's over, hooray! And nope. <laughs> yeah. So it's very interesting, but the comics that um. I don't know. Have you read the Jason Aaron? I comic? have. Yes, actually. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I mean, I want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at first, like some of the some of the things, I think it really started to get its its legs when they did the Vader down story arc, because yeah. like I definitely don't get me wrong. I definitely enjoyed it from from issue one on. But there was like, you know, just those little things that we, they kept uh, just just the those little similarities like the like the the hut. Although I did like the hut, the collector. With oh, the, I read that one, yeah. With the, oh, really? Yeah. Like, it's just like little, little things like that, um, that mimic the stories that we've already had. You know, it's like, a, it's a huge galaxy. Like, you know, I would like to see a little bit more of original species, things like that. But how, how do you feel about them, like, just wiping the slate clean on all the canon from the extra books, like in the 80s and 90s and on, you know? I mean, you know, I wasn't that. I mean, I think as my extent of reading those canons, I read Shadows of the Empire, which bridged Empire and, and Jedi, which I really liked because I always yeah. wanted a book that would do something like that. Yeah. And that's what the Jason Aaron series is doing for us. It's bridging a new it. hope. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Split, I guess- Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Remember that one? Yes, I do. But I never read that. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's that's sort, that sort of ca- that's came after uh, A New Hope, right? And it's funny because it's it's before 
they realized there were, you know, that they, I don't think Lucas had planned on them being brother and sister for a while. I think, yeah. he, you can, I think he always knew Darth Vader was the dad. There mm-hmm. are people who say he didn't, but I think he did based on new hope with uncle Owen going, he has too much of his father in him, that whole thing. I yeah. think he always knew that, but this one, like, it ends up with Luke getting the shit kicked out of him and Leia having to fight Darth Vader with a lightsaber. It's oh, very interesting. Uh, it's, yeah. very, it's very sneaky. It's like you can see the seeds of Yoda being planted and stuff like that. It's uh-huh. pretty cool. There's no, a comic adaptation, I think. Could be wrong. I have no idea what you guys have been talking about for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it's very interesting. This is how we feel when you and Jeff Rickley <laughs> talk about uh, Ink and Dagger and Integrity. Yeah, and, yeah that's fair. Which that's Claudio fair. can most likely hang on better than me. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Yeah. Ink and Dagger, that's a band, yes? yes. See, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You'd love them. They're great. Very we progressive. They're great. Um, right on. Do we? Do, when, when do we start? Do we tap out? Yeah, we're almost... I, can, I have to go pick up my kids in a few minutes. So. Yeah, yeah. I think we're pretty much there. Um, so, you guys, um, do you have a release date for the record or anything? You're still working on it? Oh, the the record actually came out. It was, oh, gotcha. Um, it came out in October. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's like what we're in support, uh, what we're in support of right now. Okay, gotcha. Um, I thought you were saying you were writing another record. No. This that's is, what I was thinking. Oh, I knew yeah. the color was out. But with, with how prolific you are, it's not bad for us to say when's the next record. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard. It's sort of hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I, you know... <laughs> Right now, I think the idea is is to really get the comics going. You know, get Good Apollo one out. I also have a children's book that's coming out. Um, of course, you do in the in the fall. Yeah, um, we haven't announced that, but it's it's actually gonna, really great. Are you going to tour on the children's book, or um, I don't know if maybe possibly is it connected to the canon too, or is it totally different? No, it's totally different. It's basically a lesson in manners for children, but it's uh, but it's set in a science fiction world, a sci fi fantasy world. Um, you know, and it's about this kid that's longing to go to this city and, you know, just explore it, you know. And uh, he meets a, a, a companion that tells him, you know, you don't want to go there. There's a tyrannical king that lives inside and he's uh, he's not very nice and he's going to force you to entertain him. And so the kid is like, uh, I'll figure it out when I get there. And he does. And he teaches the king a lesson in manners. And it's funny. I wrote this book. I, I, was, I was in the Best Western 101 above the... Uh, I forget the, uh, the Cafe 101 in, in L.A. And I was writing these ideas on all the little notepads. It just came to me in the morning. I was like, man, this is my Ziggy Stardust. Oh, like I totally thought this was like this huge concept rock kind of thing, you know, outside of the Amory Wars. And then I started getting deeper, deeper into it. And I'm like, this is not that. This is a children's <laughs> story. This is too too nice. Dude, um, I would take a 13-minute rock song on how to say please and thank you. <laughs> well, I have, yeah. a, I have a great idea. If you do a tour for the kids' book, you could call it Coheed and Creandia. Ooh. And they have, like, coloring. Nice. And, like, yeah. That's different from, uh, what was the one that they used to call us every once in a while? Code, uh, codeine and chlamydia? <laughs> or, like, or, so, or something like that. It was like <laughs> yeah, that could be a different tour. <laughs> Wow, things got things got a little nerdy there at the end, Brad. Things, yeah, things but got in a, a good little, way. Hey, man, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be appreciative of that. Um, speaking of Star Wars, do you remember um, if you like Stephen Smith and you like Star Wars, you like Coding Cambria, you're gonna you liked that podcast. Yeah, that podcast was for you. 
Um, do you remember when Brendan came by and he was playing that Bushes of Love thing, that like Star Wars yeah. lip sync thing? <laughs> so I saw the Falcon the other night, uh, Brendan's other band who were awesome, him and Dan from Alkaline Trio, Dave Haas, and Neil from um, Brendan Arms. And before they went on, it was at Chase Stadium, the lights went out and they played Bushels of Love twice all the way through. Like, Brendan's still obsessed with that. Wait, wait, they played the song. Over the PA. They just, <laughs> they just had it playing on, like, something, and it was just like, I was like, dude, come on. It was so funny. Uh, it's yeah. like my kid's favorite YouTube video. It's, yeah. Star Wars. Really? Yeah, yeah. Bad liberty. The NFL shit is made. Wow, have you seen the... Also, there's a bunch of, like, Republican convention stuff. No, I didn't even know that was really a thing. Oh, my God. You got... Just go to their site. It's... You, I, you'll choke really? laughing. Uh, I, I'm, I think I just have finished watching that Nick Jonas guitar solo <laughs> for like the 45th time. Yeah, and that's that's real. So that's incredible. <laughs> you know who would never play a solo like that? Claudio Sanchez. That dude rips. He's got a. Sick and if ex- he did a solo like that, it would be his experimental phase. Yes, and it would be brilliant. It would be comedy on purpose. Speaking of which, we just saw Coheed did this political video for Funny or Die that uh-huh. uh, you guys can check out via Funny or Die or Coheed's site. That's pretty funny. But yeah, yeah, we talk about yeah, Claudio's cool explorers. He talked about his double neck. SG the podcast have, is over, dude. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, why am I talking about this? <laughs> Good point. Uh, Brad, have you ever played one of those 12-string, six-screen double necks? No. No? No. I don't think that I could. Why not? Uh, I think that it would burn like the Antichrist (laughs) into my palm. I think they're so cool looking. (laughs) The double neck. It's weird that... 12-string electric is an amazingly difficult instrument. Not... To play, but to fit in <laughs> to your music. And I'm sure to tune. <laughs> yeah, it's bitch to tune. What are, what are the, what's the octave, like, what's the difference between the strings? They're just octaves. I think. They're just octaves, okay. Yeah. It's like one octave? Like, the second string is very thin. Okay, right, right. So they feel funny. That's the other thing, is when you play them, it almost feels like... You know, I mean, you know, you play a six string and it's very obvious where the strings are. You feel them under your fingers. With those, it almost just becomes this almost flat surface because the string area is essentially doubled. Right. So, like, I find it really difficult to figure out where my fingers are on the fretboard with a 12 string. Here's what's interesting about it. Um, Everyone knows those guitars from whatever, like Jimmy Page, blah, blah, blah. But you haven't seen since then... A lot of 12-string electrics, and you haven't really seen an updated double neck. Like, you don't see, like, Gibson coming out with, like, a new one, or, like, or, like... Probably true. (laughs) Maybe it's just such a niche thing that it's, like, not worth it. Yeah, it's definitely niche. And, like, you can always find some motherfucker to make one for you, probably. Some geeky luthier. Yeah. Or you could probably go to Gibson or Fender and say, hey... Customizes if for me. If you're in Coheed and Cambria, they make you a signature model. Yeah. It's nice to be famous. <laughs> it is nice to be famous. We should end this podcast. Yes, we should. <laughs> um, so thanks again for Claudia for coming by. Thanks, Gibson, for sending us a free double neck. The shirt's on the way. Uh, thanks to Blaze again. Blaze James, great manager. Um, thanks to Brad for being here. Thanks to Rubber Track for hosting us. If you want to leave us 
a donation, go to goingofftrack.com, leave us a couple bucks, pay our server costs. This is episode 203, I think, so it's a lot of data. <laughs> uh, you can also, if you don't want to give us money, that's cool. You can uh, leave us a nice review on iTunes or just tell your friends about it. That's the best thing you could do, probably. Aside from sending us money, that's actually the best thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.